0: with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we are going to be in verses 7 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 11. Um, The title of our lesson this morning is The Gift of Prophecy. Uh, The Gift of Prophecy. We are, of course, going in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul lists uh, several of the gifts, and we are going through the we're taking a few weeks to kind of stop and talk about the sign gifts and the one we last week Josh was here he talked about healing and miracles we're going to talk today about the gift of prophecy and we're going to be here for a, a couple of weeks because this is a obviously not an easy subject, and so we want to take our time going through it let's read our passage first Corinthians chapter twelve verse seven through eleven It says to each is given." "...the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Um, I ran across a quote this week uh, by a guy by the name of Sam Storms, who I used some time for, for, for research, and he said this. He said, "...I often tell young preachers and teachers of God's Word that much of their responsibility in communicating the truth of Scripture is wrapped up in first deconstructing and then reconstructing the beliefs of the people who sit under their ministry." Most people come to a church service or a Bible study with their belief system already in place. They may not admit it, and some of them may not even realize it, but if you really press them, you'll soon discover that they already have values and doctrines uh, deeply embedded in their hearts and minds. Now, I don't know about you, but when I really started to think about that, I began to realize probably how true that really is. Um, If I ask a question here, how many of you really studied your Bible as a teenager? I doubt there'd be very many of us, would it? If I even said, how many of you really studied your Bible in your 20s? I doubt very many of us did. You're so busy with family and, you know, unless you're a a teacher or a preacher, you probably didn't really study your Bible that hard. But the fact is that by the time you get to that point in life... You've really got a lot of beliefs already deeply ingrained in your in your heart and in your mind. Wouldn't would, would you say that's true? Um, and they really come from three ways. I mean, number one, they just come from the way we're raised. Uh, if you're raised in a in a in a say a Baptist church where where the sign gifts are not practiced. Even though you're not studying the Bible, you're, you're seeing it not happen. And so you just assume that you, you, you get a belief system that that's the way it is. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're raised in a Pentecostal church and you go to a church and you just see all these things happening, you just assume, well, that's just the way it must supposed to be, right? Does that make sense? You know, mom and daddy's doing it, grandma and granddaddy's doing it. That, that just must be right. And so you come to these things. Sometimes we have teaching. Sometimes it's good teaching. Sometimes it's bad teaching. And then the other thing is a lot of us just believe things because we want them to be true even though they're not. You know, and we've got all this stuff going on, but unfortunately we get get these values and, and deeply held doctrines and beliefs that may or may not be right. And that's probably never more true than when it comes to To tongues and prophecy, because of our past experience, a lot of us have views of what these gifts uh, should look like, of what these gifts are, whether they, how they're practiced or 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 not practiced. But for unfortunately, for a lot of people, these views that they hold may or may not be be biblical. And so I always come back to this in Second First Tim. I'm sorry, uh, Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. When it comes to a subject like the sign gifts, uh, prophecy, things like that, I can tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to set aside experience, and I'm going to turn to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What can we learn from, from the Bible? Bless Grandma's heart, you know, I, I, but what she said at this point, I need to set that aside, and I need to come to the Bible. It's the Bible that's profitable for teaching, nothing else. That's where we're always going to, to go. Now, as we said a couple weeks ago, when it comes to the sign gifts, you can really divide people into three categories. Now, again, if you really got detailed about this, they'd probably some people would probably break them up into four categories or five categories or even more. But for simplicity's sake, we're going to break this down into three categories. First, on the left, in one end of the spectrum, is you have what are called cessationists. And a cessationist believes that the sign gifts have ceased. That's where we get the word cessationist. Um, that, that they're no longer in operation today. On the other end of the spectrum, you have charismatics. And charismatics believe that not only are the sign gifts in operation today, we should just go after them with everything we have, just kind of throw everything to the wind and just go, right? And in the middle, you have what we, I would call open but cautious. And that means, and and that's where I find myself, to be quite honest with you, is that scripturally, I believe that the sign gifts have not ceased. I just see no evidence for that in scripture. However, experientially, or however you want to say that, I think we need to be very cautious. Uh, We need to use a lot of wisdom uh, in in approaching uh, the, the sign gifts. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about this the cessationist argument. For saying that the, pro- the signs of gi- uh, the gifts of prophecy and tongues have ceased is really this, because if they existed, if because they understand tongues and prophecy means revelation from God. Everybody understand that. If you give a prophecy, you're receiving a revelation from God, and you're speaking that. And their argument would be, well, if that's true and the gifts exist, then they we would be adding to the canon of Scripture. okay. We we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. John MacArthur, and let me say this again. I have got the utmost respect for John MacArthur. In fact, there's not a week goes by when I'm preparing a lesson that I don't go and see what John MacArthur says about it. I've got that much respect for him. Um, I just happen to disagree with him on this one thing. Um, He said this. He says, "...and so through the Scriptures God has given us a body of teaching that is final and complete. By the way, amen. I 100% agree with that. Our Christian faith rests on historical objective revelation. Once again, amen. I agree with that 100%. But then he says this, that rules out all inspired prophecies and other forms of new revelation until God speaks again at the return of Christ. Now that I don't agree with. And because to hold that view, to believe that, you've got to make an assumption. You've got to assume that all prophecies in the past were canonical. In other words, all prophecies were written down and made part of Scripture. But as we look through Scripture, we find out that's, that's just not true. In uh, 1 Samuel 10.10, says this, When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied. In Acts 15.32, it says, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Now, I ask you, what did they say? Nobody knows. They didn't write it down. There's always been prophecies in the Old Testament and in the early church where people prophesied, but yet it was never written down in Scripture. You've always seen prophecy exist along... Now, some were. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah... Some prophecies were written down, but not all prophecies have been, have been written down. Pro- pro- prophetic utterances have always existed alongside uh, Scripture while not necessarily adding to it. Now, one of the arguments that's come along in the last several years from a cessationist is, says, well, the gift of prophecy does exist, but it's basically the same as preaching and teaching. In other words, the gift of prophecy today in the modern church is teaching and preaching. For example, Kenneth Gangle in his book You and Your Spiritual Gifts says this, the gift of prophecy is congregational preaching and teaching which explains and applies God's written revelation. In other words, they're saying that right now I'm prophesying that Pastor Henry, when he gets up today, he will be, he will be prophesying. Well, again... Is That kind of raises the question, is prophecy today the same as preaching and teaching? Well, once again, I just don't see how that view is supported in, in Scripture. There are several places in Scripture where there's a, a clear distinction between prophecy and teaching. For example, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, they are listed as separate gifts. Uh, God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third Teacher. So prophecy and teaching is shown as two different things. For example, in the first century church, women were not allowed to teach or preach. First Timothy 2.12, Paul says this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. But guess what? They're allowed to prophesy. First Corinthians 11.5, we saw this a few weeks ago, but every wife who prays or prophesied, talking about having her head uncovered. Remember we talked about that. So they they can't teach, but they can prophesy. So it's pretty clear when you begin to look at Scripture that the two are different. Now, what sets them apart? What makes prophecy different from preaching or teaching? Well, it's pretty clear in Scripture that what sets them apart is prophecy always involves revelation. It's always someone getting a word from God. We see Paul talk about that in 1 Corinthians 14. He says this, What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So you can see that prophecy involves revelation, getting a word from from God. By the way, teaching is not like that. I want you all to understand. Do you all know that when I... I've worked two weeks on this... I don't go in a room and say, God, reveal me this lesson. You know what I do? Anybody? I get on the Internet and I go see what John Piper and John MacArthur and John Calvin and Matthew Henry and... I mean, God's not, he's not reinventing the wheel here. The Bible means what it means. He, he's shown this over the years. I'm looking at what tradition says. Is everybody with me? That's how we... St- I'm not looking for new revelation. That, that's not how that works. I, I, that, that's not teaching, okay? That's not how teaching works. So if prophecy is different from teaching and preaching, then how do we define it? I found a, a, a definition that I like. This is Cecil Robeck in his book, Problems in Contemporary Use of the Gift of Prophecy. He said this, It's a spontaneous manifestation of God's grace received by revelation and spoken by the Spirit through a Christian who has been given the gift of prophecy in the language of those who hear the prophetic word spoken. Now, let me say this, and we're going to talk about this more next week. A lot of people, when they think about prophecy, they think about foretelling the future, okay? And that can be a a part of prophecy, but that is just a, a, a really a small part of it. Prophecy really is primarily a gift of proclamation or forthtelling, not foretelling. Okay, that's not what it's about. And, and we'll see that more next week as we dig further into it. So as we've looked at the gift of prophecy, uh, with, the, with the evidence that not all prophecy is included in Scripture, and there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that, that prophecy has ceased, I believe that the gift of prophecy is still for today, and I believe that the scripture teaches exactly that. So here's the question: Then what is the gift of prophecy, and how should it work in the church today? Now this is where the rubber meets the road, right? So I've looked at you know we've looked at scripture and say, okay, I just see no evidence that it ceased. I believe it has to be for today. But yet, in practice, when you look around, we don't see it really being practiced in some churches. And in other churches, I think it's practiced entirely wrong. Okay, And we'll talk about that more uh, next week. So how should it work? What is it? I want to start off by, first of all, affirming the authority of this book. Okay, We don't go anywhere talking about anything before we affirm the authority of this book. Nothing I'm going to say today in, in any way, shape, or form will ever undermine the authority of, 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 of this book. By the way, we've seen this from the very... Would we all agree that the gift of prophecy was active and working in the early church? Absolutely. You, you go read the book of Acts, you, you, you understand it was working in the... But even in the early church, you saw this exact same thing, Okay? You, you never overrode the authority of the Word of God. For example, 1 Corinthians 14, 37-38. through 38, This is Paul writing. He says this, If anyone thinks he's a prophet... Everybody see that? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this... Paul says, If you don't recognize apostolic authority you are not recognized as a prophet. Does everybody see that? Right off the bat. He says, if you don't recognize that what I'm writing to you is the command of the Lord, then you're not recognized. Now see, the the implication there is extremely plain. The teaching of the apostle has final authority. Prophecy in the church then and now would never override that. Anyone who is a prophet or spiritual should recognize that. You can see the same thing in Paul's... Uh, letter to the church at Thessalonica. In the, that church, someone was claiming, by the Spirit, to have information about the second coming, and they were causing a big problem in the in the church. But Paul says, "Don't believe them if it's different from what I told you." Okay, First Thessalonians uh, chapter two, verse one through five. Paul says this: Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarm, either by a spirit or a spoken word. You see what he's saying there? I don't care if somebody stands up and prophesies that Jesus has already come. He says, don't believe them. Even if you get a letter purporting to come from us that the day of the Lord has come. Look what he says. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction... Paul says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you those things? In other words, the apostolic word holds authority over anybody else who stands up and says anything. Don't believe them if it doesn't match up with what I said. Okay. In other words, prophecies in the early church were always to be tested by the word of the apostle. Now, the, the point of that is today. The apostles aren't here anymore, but the Bible is, is it not? This is, this is the word that the Spirit inspired through their, uh, through their hands. So in the same way that Paul made apostolic authority the final authority in the early church, that means today the New Testament is our authority. Okay? It is the word of God. We, every, it always has the final word. And since the New Testament endorses the Old Testament as God's word, we take the whole Bible as our rule, our measuring rod, our standard against all teaching, all prophecy, anything that's taught or said, we apply it against that Bible. Everybody with me? That, that is our authority of how we should believe and how we should live our lives. Now, with that said, let's go back to the day of Pentecost. Remember, this is two parts, so we won't get through it all today. Let's go back to the de- Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, something happened, obviously. It starts in Acts chapter two. Verses 5 through 13. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of, of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. On the day of Pentecost, there are 120 people in an upper room, They're praying, the Holy Spirit comes, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and the Bible says they were filled with the Spirit, and they go out in the streets, and they begin to prophesy. They begin to declare the mighty works of God. And the people are saying, what's going on here? And and some of them said, what does this mean? Others said they're drunk. And by the way, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. So Peter explains what's happening. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He's going to tell, this is what this means on the day of Pentecost. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. He's quoting Joel 2.28. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Okay? Now, Joel had said in the prophecy of Joel, Joel said in the last days there would be a great worldwide outpouring of the Spirit. And the mark of that, one of the marks of that outpouring is that people would prophesy. Men and women would prophesy. Young and old would prophesy. Low class, high class. didn't matter. Your class don't matter. Your, your age don't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. Your ethnicity doesn't matter. He's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh, and He says they will prophesy. So Peter says in the last days, he says this is, this is what Joel was talking about right now. It's happening. In other words... Starting today, we are in, Peter says, the last days. And 2,000 years later, by the way, we're still in the last days. The last days is a... Um, basically, it's, it's not talking about a week or eight days or 12 days. It's talking about an age before Jesus comes back. That's the last days. By the way, Peter confirms that at the end of his message. Look what he says in Acts 2.39. For the promise, he's talking about of the Spirit... Is for you and your children and for all who are where far off. So he's not talking about just a few days. He's talking about a generation after generation after generation, all who are afar off. So we are still in that we're we're that promise, we're living in the last days. We're living under that promise. Now I want you here's the question, okay? I need you to put your thinking cap on this morning. Did Joel, who originally gave that prophecy, and Peter, who quoted that prophecy, and Luke, who wrote it all down, did they really think that all those people who were going to be prophesying, young and old, men and women, low class, high class, everybody, did he really believe that they would be become prophets in the same way that Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Elisha were prophets. See, that's the question. Did they really think that all these people that are going to be prophesying are going to be in the same... they're going to be prophets just like Moses was a prophet, just like Elijah was a prophet, just like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Joel were prophets? Is that what they really thought? Now, let's let's stop right there for a second and go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament if you had a prophet of God, and that prophet of God stood up and spoke, you had not only better listen, you were expected to what? You were expected to obey. The Old Testament prophets were the mouthpiece of God. In other words, when they spoke, they were speaking the words of God. And and, and stay with me right here, those words carried the authority of God, did they not? When Moses stood up and spoke, you, and, and you knew he was a prophet of God, and he says, Thus saith the Lord, you listened, and you better obey, because that man stood and spoke with the authority of God himself. Yes or no? Absolutely. And, okay? Now, did, they, did Joel and Luke and Peter really think that all these people that's going to be prophesying were going to be speaking with the authority of God? That's a good question. Is prophesying in the last days the same as Old Testament prophecy, or is it different? Well, you see, I think it's different. I believe there is a difference. I don't think the gift of prophecy today is the same as in the Old Testament. To put it, now this is my terms, okay? I think it's a lesser form of prophecy than the one in the Old Testament. I need you to hang with me here. and and I'm going to verify all this for you as we move along. Now, on the one hand, it is the same. It's the same in the sense that just as Old Testament prophets received a revelation from God, I believe prophecies today are prompted and empowered by a revelation of the Spirit. In that sense, you are getting a revelation from God. Everybody with me? I, I, I mean, that's what prophecy is. Yet it is different, in that today's New Testament prophecy does not contain the same inherent divine authority that the Old Testament prophets spoke with. It's the same revelation from God, yes. Does it have the same divine authority? No, it doesn't. And by the way, I'll back all this up with, with, with Scripture as we move along. Now, I want you to stick with me here, because even now, I can see people's brains start... Well, you're looking at me, right? And let me tell you why this is kind of hard to think about or, or kind of hard to grasp or, or difficult to grasp for us is most of us don't have a category in our thinking for a type of speech that is spirit-prompted or spirit-empowered, yet it doesn't contain intrinsic divine authority, right? Because if, if God speaks, it should contain authority, right? That, that's kind of the way we think. Um, Our problem is that most of us, most of us really only have two categories of thinking when it comes to prophets, and that is a true prophet and a what? A false prophet. You see, in the Old Testament, you've got this true prophet of God, men like Moses, men like Ezekiel, men like Isaiah, men like Jeremiah, and the list goes on and on. And when they stand up and they speak and they say, thus saith the Lord, they're speaking with infallible verbal inspiration. And those words carry the authority of God, and you had better listen. And, and can I be honest with you? Isn't that mo Just think about it. If you think of prophet, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Isn't it some gray-haired, gray-bearded guy in sackcloth? It, 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 wouldn't you say just for some reason in our mind we've got this idea of a prophet if, is, the, is this Old Testament guy? Right, that stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord, and everybody has to... Yes or no? I think that's our view of a prophet. On the other hand, we know there were false prophets who are roundly condemned by Scripture. I put Jeremiah 23, 16 in there. I want you to... because this is very important. Look at what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes... They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. you all see the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? The true prophet speaks the words of God. A false prophet speaks things from his own mind. Everybody see that? That's the difference between those two. So when we think about prophecy, it, we got this idea of a true prophet speaking the words of God, and we got this idea of a false prophet who's speaking... And we really... Those are our two categories for prophets. Would we agree? That, I mean, just think, think it through for a minute. That's our ideas of, of prophecy. Here's the problem, though, folks. The teaching that we find in the New Testament about prophecy is simply not covered by those two categories. It's just not. In the New Testament, you find prophecy that is prompted and inspired by revelation from the Spirit of God... But can still contain error. Yes or no? Doesn't Paul say test them? Doesn't he say test? Why would he tell us to test something if it can't contain error? We'll see that even more next week. The fact is, we see prophecy in the New Testament that we're told to sift and test it and hold fast to what is good. Yes or no? We are. Now, I know it sounds like a contradiction to say that on one hand, prophecy is a spirit prompted, spirit empowered utterance, and yet to turn around and say that same prophecy does not carry, necessarily carry divine authority and might even have error in it, that almost sounds like a contradiction in terms. Okay? But here's to better explain it. I want to compare it to something, and that is the gift of teaching. And I need everybody to listen to me because I think this will make, hopefully help a lot go on for you. Would you agree with me that when the spiritual gift of teaching is being exercised... Now, I'm not talking about somebody that doesn't have, but somebody who is spiritually gifted with the gift of teaching. Would you agree with me that when somebody has the gift of teaching, that they're, that, that gift is being ...prompted and empowered by the Spirit of God. Yes or no? Absolutely it Bible, is. We've seen that in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Would you also agree with me... ...that that person's teaching... ...is based on the infallible words of God? Okay? So you've got a gift that's prompted and empowered by the Spirit... ...and it's based on something that is without error. We all agree. Okay? So the gift of teaching is the Spirit-enabled ability to explain the words of God for the edification of the church. Okay. Now, would we all agree that this gift is extremely valuable for the church? Yes or no? Yes. Absolutely we would. But would any of us say that the speech of a teacher, when he, even when he is exercising the gift of teaching, is infallible? Yes or No. No you wouldn't even that would not even cross your mind that Derek Gray can stand up here on a Sunday morning and, and teach us and he's speaking infallibly. That doesn't even cross your mind. Right? We we know our teachers are fallible. Would you say that when I stand up here on a Sunday morning and I preach and I teach the word of God, would you say that I have that I have divine authority? No. No. In fact, I have authority only in a secondary sense. The authority rests in this Word, not in me. I'm teaching the Word. This is where the authority comes from, right? It's not in, it's not in me. Now, does anybody have a problem with anything I just said? Anybody? The, 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 the gift of teaching is spiritually empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes or no? Yes, You the teacher is teaching the infallible Word of God, yes or no? No errors in this Word, right? W- would you say that the teacher is... Can I get up here and say things that are wrong? Absolutely. See, nobody, nobody even questions that. We don't have any problem with that. But how can that be? Think about it. How is it that a gift that is spirit and in- out is prompted, spirit-empowered, spirit-enabled, and rooted in infallible Scripture... How is it that that cannot have the authority of God? How is it that I can sit here today and I'm not speaking with the authority of God? And you're not. In fact, when I teach, and every one of you in your mind should be constantly comparing it back to what the Bible says. Yes or no? Okay. See, this is why this is a teacher's perception of biblical truth is fallible. My analysis of biblical truth is fallible. My explanation of biblical truth is fallible. Therefore, teaching is fallible. We understand that, don't we? We know this book is without error, but we know the teacher is not without error. And, we are, and, and by the way, even though we know all that, even though we know there's no guarantee that the link between this book and the church which is the teacher, even though we know there's no guarantee that's an infallible link, can I tell you, we still come here every Sunday morning. Do we not? Why? Because we know how valuable teaching is, even though we know it has the possibility of error. Are you with me? We know that. We have no problem with it. We show up here every Sunday morning because we know teaching is a valuable gift from God to the church. We know it has immense value, even though it's not perfect. Now, I want you to compare that to the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is also powered and prompted and enabled by the Spirit. It's also based on an infallible revelation from God given to the prophet. God reveals something to the mind of the prophet. And by the way, since God never makes a mistake, we know that His revelation is perfect. Yes or no? Absolutely. But like teaching, the gift of prophecy does not guarantee the infallible transmission of the revelation. The prophet may perceive the revelation imperfectly. He may understand it imperfectly, and he may deliver it imperfectly. So here's my question, folks. If fallible, teaching, if fallible teaching can be good for the edification of the church, could not fallible prophecy be good as well, even though both of them may contain error, be mixed with human interpretation, and in need of testing? Yes or no? Yes. I'll start, I want to start here. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust me as a teacher? You do? Somebody tell me why do you trust me? Okay. I, I teach from the Bible. John says I've been tested. Would you say you trust me because I've been doing this for ten years? Right? And and, and you come in here and Sunday after Sunday, you know that I do my best to adhere to the scripture. Do I not? You know I'm not perfect. You know I make mistakes. You you know, but but you also know me. You know my life. You, you know every... You see it week after week after week after week. And so you come to the point where you trust me. But even though you trust me, I don't think any of you who are Christians would ever come in here and just throw this away. You don't say, well, I don't need that anymore. Derek will tell me. No. It's not what we do. You trust me but you still are sitting there with that Bible, as you should. Now let me ask you a question. For all those same reasons, would you trust me if I was a prophet? If I, if I can't... If, if I, think, think about this for just a second. Somebody comes in off the street today. We don't know them from Adam. And they come in and say, I want to, I'm going to teach the Bible study. I'm going to teach you something. And they start teaching. What, what would you be doing? You Son, you'd be in that Bible. You'd be like, man, I'm listening. And you should be. Somebody steps in off the street and says they're a prophet and starts to say something. What should you be doing? And let me tell you something. When they make a mistake, you ought to stand up and say no. No. What you're saying is wrong. See, I'm going to show you next week one of the problems that we have with prophecy today. And one of the reasons we've gone to two extremes is we don't have people anymore in the church that will stand up and say no. We've got charismatics and people standing up and saying they're prophesying and, prophes- and nobody will stand up and say No, that doesn't match up with the Word of God. That doesn't line up with the Word of God. Sit down. You're rebuked. Nobody will do that. So on the other hand, we've gone the other way and we've shut it all the way down. See, I believe there's a, I believe the gift is for today. I believe there's a right way to use it. But I believe that, that there's some things that we need in the church. There's some checks and some balances, some authority that needs to be in the church so that the gift operates in, in the right way. Okay. Can I now here's the last question. Can I back all that up scripturally? Absolutely. I would not tell you if I could. I can back all that up scripturally. We'll see next week that the gift of prophecy, Paul says, you test it. You, you test what that man says. Okay, we'll we'll go through all that next week and we'll show you. Uh, how all that works. So I just want to kind of put that out there today for you um, to kind of get you thinking about it. Uh, Maybe you'll go off this week and do a little bit of your your own study, which I think is an an absolutely uh, great thing. All right, for that.